tonight. At this global event, this universal stage, whose storied past is rivaled only by the promise of an even bigger future. Millions will watch from around the world, waiting, anticipating for that next breathtaking moment. The stage is set. The time is now. History is at hand. This is WrestleMania. show we go back to 1998 and the birth of the austin era live from my hometown of boston now this was the only time boston got to host a wrestlemania even though the city has hosted countless SummerSlam and royal rumbles fortunately i was not able to attend that night and to be quite honest i'm still kind of bitter about it nonetheless i've always enjoyed wrestlemania 14 So let's see if it still holds up today. Now, before we get started, I will say that I do want to apologize for taking so long to get this episode out. Uh, It's been a busy month. Well, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. And I know it's been a few weeks since I released an episode, but I'm glad to get get this one out now. Uh, Also, it really wasn't my fault. I just spent way too much time watching The Greatest Royal Rumble. So, that was a waste of time that I could have spent recording and getting this out. But, we have it now, and we kick off this broadcast on the network with a hype video that we've come to expect. This time, hyping up Mike Tyson. The baddest man on the planet! Now, WrestleMania 14 seemingly kicks off with a 15 tag team battle royal, or does it? It does if you're watching on the WWE Network. It does if you bought the Coliseum home video at the time. But for anyone who was lucky enough to order the original broadcast, the night actually began with the DX band performing a live, we'll call it alternative version of America the Beautiful and the Star Spangled Banner. To be quite honest, it was so horrible that the crowd started booing them out of the building, and not surprisingly, Vince McMahon himself hated it, and decided to edit the segment off of the home video release, as well as any rebroadcasts. I can't say I blame them. It was pretty bad. Too bad for the DX man, but we will see them later, so moving on. This year's WrestleMania logo is the last to use the classic WWF logo. Even though the Scratch logo was developed and featured on some segments of the show, for some reason, they decided to incorporate the classic logo onto the WrestleMania sign. Call me old-fashioned, but I've always preferred that logo to the Scratch one. Now, I would be amiss to forget to mention that WrestleMania 14, as I mentioned, comes to you from Boston, Massachusetts, live from what was known at that point as the Flea Center, now affectionately called the TD Garden. The attendance for WrestleMania 14 was 19,028. The date was March 29th, 1998. And the tagline for WrestleMania was X-rated. Not X-rated as if there was adult film performances on this WrestleMania, but X-R-A-I-D-E-D, meaning that DX was rating the event, I assume. It was a weird tagline, I'll say that. Match number one, a battle royal to determine the number one contender for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Stop me if you heard this before, but we will have a multi-team gimmick match to determine the number one contender for the tag belts. Hey, I guess it's a way to get everyone on the show without the broadcast being seven hours. (coughs) WrestleMania 34. (coughs) We hear the music of the Nation of Domination as Farouk and Kama Mustafa make their way down the aisle. They will be joining they will be joined in this match by their other nation brethren, D'Lo and Mark Henry, along with 
The Godwins, the Headbangers, the Truth Commission, Savio Vega, Miguel Perez of Los Bariquas, Jose Estrada and Jose Castillo of Los Bariquas, Skull and April of DOA, Chains of DOA and Bradshaw not of DOA, Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher, Flash Funk and Steve Blackman, insert your own joke here, Rock and Roll Express, For Real, the Quebecers, and the new Midnight Express of Bodacious Bart and Bombastic Bob. Got enough tag teams for you? Well, there's one more. It's a mystery team. Who is this mystery team, you ask? It is the returning Legion of Doom. Now, with more Sunny and less Spikes. That's right, it's LOD 2000. Sunny looks great, by the way, in her LOD 2000 outfit. But Hawk and Animal kind of look like they got kicked out of a laser tag event at Good Times. By the way, R.I.P. Good Times. For those that get it, get it. The match starts out with chaos, as you would expect in these type of battle royals. Uh, three or four teams are eliminated within 30 seconds. Then Barry Windham runs down to eliminate Shane so that Bradshaw is eliminated. Because, I guess, you know, the new Blackjacks broke up. So this is uh, Barry Windham saying, if I can't have you, he can't either. And uh, now we're going to get the program that no one ever wanted to see. And I don't think we ever got, which is the new Blackjacks explode. I think Barry Windham left the company shortly after this, but I might be wrong. He left and came back like nine times, so who knows? For all I know, he's a horseman in two months. Now, Bob Hawley, or rather, Bombastic Bob took what thinning hair he has left at this point and dyed it blonde. It's David Lee Roth levels of bad. And I'm talking like Roth in like 97 when he was supposed to like go back with Van Halen. Not like 84 Roth, but like, you know, old, lame David Lee Roth. Meanwhile, Jerry Lawler gets all types of high pitch excited at any time his son does any offense, but then gets pissed when Scott Taylor gets eliminated, causing Brian Christopher to hit the showers. As we dwindle down, JR mentions the next time they'll be live with us on pay-per-view is WWF Forgiven. So first of all, and not the name of the pay-per-view, because Lawler actually has to correct JR and let him know that the pay-per-view is actually called Unforgiven. To which I gotta say thank God, because WWF Forgiven sounds like it would be booked by Brother Love. Just saying. And second of all, we're mentioning this next pay-per-view 10 minutes into the current pay-per-views broadcast. That seems a little much. Our final two teams are the LOD and the new Midnight Express. But the Godwins don't take too kindly to be eliminated, so they come back in the ring and they clock LOD with their slop buckets. So, easy win for Bart and Bob, right? Wrong. After a very... Small bit of resistance. Hawk and Animal clothesline Bob and Bart over the top rope for the win. Your winners with 100% more sunny, L-O-D. We are then informed they will get their title shot next month on pay-per-view at Unforgiven. Loud L-O-D chants break out throughout the arena as they make their way to the back with Sunny, presumably to give her the push she thinks she deserves. We then go to Lawler and JR, and they show us a video package of the WWF taking over Boston, including a public workout they held that past Thursday in Government Center, where HBK and Mike Tyson tie up Austin in the ropes, only to plant a double kiss on his forehead. Aw, so cute. Now, I bring this up only because of what happened at the workout. As the story goes, before Michaels and Triple H got physical with Austin, someone in the crowd threw a battery that hit Sean while he was in the ring. I don't know who threw the battery, but I will say that rundown host Jason is unaccounted for that day, and I have a feeling if he had any batteries, he was at Government Center. Nevertheless, Sean got beyond pissed, left, locked himself in the limo, and refused to come back out, and threatened to leave without doing the spot. Thankfully, somebody convinced Sean to go back out. And they did the spot where they tied up Austin the ropes and kissed him on the forehead. But it was this close to not happening. Uh, Probably why we've never seen a quote-unquote public workout ever again leading up to Mania. Match number two, the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, Taka Michinoku versus Aguilar. 
In trying to compete with the success WCW had with their cruiserweight division, the WWF decided to launch their quote-unquote light heavyweight division. To their credit, both Taka and Aguila were very talented, but it wasn't really much of a division. It was like these two guys and every now and then Brian Christopher. So they kind of failed on the launch of that division. Uh, then again, judging by how long it took the cruiserweights to get started and be successful, and I still don't know if they are, apparently this is really not WWE's forte. Now, Aguila wrestles a very fast-paced lucha style, and I know this guy had to be someone besides just Aguila, right? Well, my suspicions are confirmed, as Wikipedia tells me he was later best known as... Ese Rios! Now that makes more sense. We start fast-paced with a flying head scissors and a baseball slide by Aguila. Then Aguila hits a beautiful acai moonsault from the top turnbuckle to the floor. Taka then retaliates with a high-flying crossbody from the top turnbuckle to the floor. And the racism begins running wild at this point as Lawless says Aguila should make like Taco Bell and run for the border. It's 1998. It's not even 1988. He's still with the friggin' racist jokes. But nevertheless. And then to make things worse, we get a split screen of our Spanish announce team to be like, look, see, they're talking about Aguila because they speak Spanish and he's Spanish. Ugh. Aguila then hits a corkscrew plancha over the top rope and then a top rope hurricanrana until Taka turns the tide with a missile dropkick of his own. Taka calls for the Michinoka driver, but Aguila escapes and goes for another Rana. However, this time, Taka reverses it into a vicious sit-down powerbomb. He gets a two-count, but Aguila kicks out. Taka tries a moonsault, but misses. Aguila tries to capitalize, but Taka catches him mid-air with a dropkick. Taka finally plants Aguila with the Michinoka driver for the pinfall victory. Your winner, and still light heavyweight champion, Taka Michinoku. Great fast-paced match. Only went for about five or six minutes. Um, I think if those two went for 10 or 12, no one would be complaining. It was that good. But instead of great wrestling, why would we have that at WrestleMania? We go to shots from earlier today as Jennifer Flowers sat down with The Rock for a little one-on-one with the not-yet-great one. Now I know what you're thinking. Who in the blue hell is Jennifer Flowers? Well, all I can tell you is she was one of the lesser-remembered women who had an affair with Bill Clinton. Maybe third or fourth most famous of all the women that were associated with the Clinton scandal. Good job, WB. No Monica Lewinsky, and you couldn't even grab Linda Tripp. Although no one wanted to grab Linda Tripp, so I guess we can't blame them. Jennifer Flowers asked Rock if he was the leader of this country, how would he run things? Rock responds in typical hair fashion, saying that the term leader is a little bit beneath him, and he'd rather call himself the ruler, and successfully managed to twist all of her questions in a way to put himself over, which is the mark of a good heel. It's a far cry from the great one we would know to love, but you could argue it's a start. Rock even sneaks in a Clinton joke for good measure at the end. We hear the DX band for the first time in the network version as European champion Triple H makes his way to the ring accompanied by China. Match number three, Triple H versus Owen Hart for the European Championship. Now, Owen at this point is the quote-unquote last surviving Hart after Brett, Bulldog, Anvil, and Pillman have all left the company following the Montreal Screwjob. Well, technically, Pillman left the world before any of that happened, but I digress. This match is a very unique stipulation put on it by WWF Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter. Due to China's continued involvement in Triple H's matches, Slaughter will be handcuffed to her at ringside to prevent her from getting involved. As Slaughter tries to put the handcuffs on her wrist, China threatens to punch him in the face, but while she's screaming at the ref, Slaughter creepily sneaks the cuffs on her and locks it. Owen then comes out to a pretty large ovation. I wish Owen got a chance as a top babyface. I know he was a really great heel, but I feel there were so many Owen fans, people would have got behind him. 
Owen starts off by dropping Triple H with a double leg takedown and fists of fury right at Triple H's big schnoz. As Owen pummels Triple H, JR takes a shot at Brett and says, We'll never forget WrestleMania 10 when he beat his own brother, Brett the Hitman Hart, at Madison Square Garden. Really, JR? Because that's the first time you've mentioned it since 1994. But I know you were fed that line because, you know, the owner of the company has to get his jabs in. Owen hits a hurricane for a near fall, but then Triple H stops the momentum with a stiff elbow to the jaw. Triple H then kicks Owen to the outside where China tries to take a shot at him, but is unable to due to Slaughter pulling her back with the handcuffs. Triple H then tries a double axe handle off the apron and Owen sidesteps him and sends him into the guardrail. Owen then taunts China while punching Triple H in the face, knowing that China can't reach him. China does a good job of selling the fact that she's bullshit. And Owen sends Hunter back into the ring and goes for the sharpshooter, but Helmsley escapes with a thumb to the eye. As Triple H seizes the advantage, JR tells us that they wish a speedy recovery to Earl Hebner, who is in the ICU at the New England Medical Center. They wish him a speedy recovery and are sorry he had to miss WrestleMania. What the fuck? I don't remember Earl Hebner being in the ICU. After doing some extensive research, according to the Wrestling Observer newsletter from April 6, 1998, Earl Hebner suffered a fucking brain aneurysm the night before Mania and had to be hospitalized immediately. He reportedly didn't recognize anyone who came to see him and was in bad shape for a few weeks before eventually recovering and returning to the WWF. Jesus Christ. Just goes to show you, no one misses Mania unless... Something as severe as a fucking brain aneurysm or a heart attack befalls you. Break your leg? Tape that shit up. Tear your rotator cuff? Go out there and fake it till you make it. Hell, Kurt Angle wrestled WrestleMania 19 with a broken freaking neck. But I guess not even that would be a valid excuse to miss Mania. Now to tie it back into this match, Owen supposedly was actually wrestling this match with a bum ankle. And they used that in storyline, but apparently his ankle was in bad shape, but he fought through the pain to work the match because he knew it was Mania. Triple H nails on with a DDT and gets a near fall, and then he starts to go and work on said ankle. As Triple H locks Owen in a spinning toehold submission, we see Owen bleeding from the bridge of his nose, so apparently Hunter caught him pretty good with that high knee. Not to be confused with Booty Man's finisher. Uh, Never mind. At one point, Owen whips Triple H into the corner, then slides out of the ring and grabs Helmsley's legs from the outside to crotch him against the ring post. How this isn't a DQ, I have no idea. As Owen nails a missile dropkick, Lawler hilariously says he got hit right in the X, which made me which made me laugh. Owen nails a spinning heel kick for another two count, but when Owen nails Triple H with an insiguri, Owen hurts his own ankle in the process. This delays the cover and allows Triple H to barely kick out at two and a half. Owen goes for the sharpshooter, but Triple H kicks him into the turnbuckle, which causes Owen to fall headfirst onto Triple H's ball sack. That's nutshot number two for the soon-to-be game, and Owen gets another near fall. Owen finally locks Triple H in the sharpshooter, but China is able to grab Helmsley's hand and help him to the bottom rope. Then, while the referee is distracted with Owen, and Slaughter is staring off into the distance looking at God knows what, China grabs fistful of salt from her pocket, don't ask me, don't, don't ask, and throws it right into Slaughter's eyes. With Slaughter now neutralized, China is able to get back onto the apron and nail Owen with a low blow behind the ref's back. And I mean, for anyone who watches the current product, This was Nakamura to AJ's ball bag levels of stiff. Triple H then nails Owen with the pedigree for the win. Your winner, and still European champion, Triple H. After the match, China practically rips referee Tim White from the ring to the outside and demands he unlock her from the handcuffs. And White does so frantically, and as soon as China's free... She spins Slaughter around, who's still blinded at this point, and hits him with a forearm to his oversized jaw. Nice touch by the Amazon China. 
Match number four is a mixed tag team match between Mark Marin Sable versus Goldust and Luna. We get a video package of Mark Marin treating Sable like dirt, as well as Marrow bringing in Luna and Goldust into the mix. In fact, let's hear what Luna Vachon thinks about Sable. I am the one. This is gonna take her S-day lot of face and rearrange it into an anti-world original. For the record, I think Luna is tremendously underrated and did a great job in getting Sable over during this feud. A strange siren sign- signifies the entrance of what is being called the artist formerly known as Goldust. Tonight, the artist is wearing blood-red face paint with a black X drawn over it, as well as a metallic jumpsuit with a woman's teddy lingerie over the top of it. Um, kind of looks like something from a bad anime show, but I'd have to ask our friends from Tuning Japanese. Also, Goldust looks pretty pudgy in this attire, so it's nice that he's invested as we are. Former light heavyweight boxing champ Vinny Pezienza is shown in the crowd, so it's nice he made the drive up from Providence to get paid to sit in the seat for 30 seconds. And Jim Lawler... Jim Lawler, pardon me. Jerry Lawler then claims Marvin Hagler is here, but uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't see him. Goldust and Mero start the match until Goldust immediately tags in Luna. However, the very second Sable comes in the ring, Luna hightails it out of the ring, and then Sable chases her around the ring before finally... Luna comes back in to tag Goldust back in. Luna refuses to get in the ring with Sable after Mara tags Sable again, and we are forced to watch more of Goldust versus Mara. The crowd starts chanting for Sable, so so apparently their plan is working. Goldust finally tags Luna as Mara gets the hot tag to Sable. Sable comes flying in, grabs Luna with a double leg takedown, and the crowd goes nuts. So the spot worked. Sable is hammering Luna with fists and kicks and then nails Goldust with a punch to the face for his troubles and then clotheslines Luna over the top rope. Sable's offense looks good, but there's probably more a credit to Luna than to Sable at this point. In fact, I don't think Sable really knows how to work, and I think she legitimately catches Luna and Goldust with a couple of stiffies. Speaking of stiffies, she can do no wrong in the crowd's eyes, who just think that she's the best thing since sliced bread number two. And I'm sure it's it's strictly because of Sable's wrestling ability. After 30 seconds of that hot and heavy action, Mero and Goldust are back in the ring, and Goldust spits at Sable. That's a nice look for you, WWF, even in 1998. Although I'm sure if asked, they would deny knowing that he was going to do that. This, of course, causes Sable to flip her shit. When the ref is forced to hold her back... And Goldust is busy jarring at Sable, which allows Marrow to hit Goldust with a low blow. I believe that's number four in this show. Because apparently that's what we're going to do in every single match tonight, is hit somebody with a low blow. Marrow goes for the TKO, but Goldust reverses it into a DDT. Goldust goes for the curtain call, but Marrow counters it. Marrow then nails Goldust with a top rope moonsault. Marrow then hits a top rope Hurricanrana for another two count. After that, Marrow hits the TKO that he was looking for earlier, but Luna breaks up the pin by jumping on Marrow's back. While on his back, Marrow makes his way to the corner and tags in Sable. Well, actually, Sable kind of tags herself in. She tries to cover Goldust, but the referee doesn't see it, and then he won't count it. And this allows Luna to go to the top for a splash, but Sable moves, and Luna nails Goldust instead. Sable then nails Luna with a powerbomb, not a Sable bomb yet at this point, And somehow, Luna kicks out at two and a half. After a little bit more back and forth, Sable actually nails Luna with Mark Marrow's TKO and is able to pick up the win. Your winners, Sable and Mark Marrow. Mark Marrow tries to celebrate with Sable, but she ain't having none of it. He tries to raise her hand in victory, but she pretty much pulls away in disgust. They leave together, however, as we get ready for our next match. Match number five, WWF Tag Team Championship, the New Age Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, a.k.a. Mick Foley and Terry Funk. In a dumpster match, which means the only way to win is to stuff both your opponents in a dumpster and close the lids. We get a graphic for the tag match, but JR sneaks in a still to come, and out of fucking nowhere, I'm not shitting you, 
the graphic changes to the Intercontinental title match between The Rock and Ken Shamrock. What the fuck? Not that the graphics matter, but, you know, it was just a little bit disjointed. This then sends us to the ring for a special introduction by a good old Southern boy. You know, before Paul Heyman was known for the introduction for Brock Lesnar, remember kids, Tennessee Lee was known to introduce J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T, the greatest country singer of all time. So what does the future Hall of Famer have in store for us tonight? Well, a whole lot of nothing, actually. He asks Jennifer Flowers if he's great, to which she responds, Honey, I've been with great, and you are great. And then she introduces the competitors for our next match. Match number five, for real this time, I swear. WWF Intercontinental title match, The Rock versus Ken Shamrock. From special guest referee at last year's Mania to challenger for the IC title at this year's, Ken Shamrock has come a long way. And it's nice to see him get this spot here on the card. Now, champion The Rock comes out first with all the members of the nation, accompanying Rocky tonight, all the members except one, nowhere to be found, is Farouk. See, in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of dissension between Farouk and The Rock, and a bit of a power struggle to determine who is the true leader of the Nation of Domination. Has Farouk left Rocky high and dry tonight? Well, let's find out. Shamrock comes out to a decent ovation and runs into the ring to immediately attack The Rock. A stiff clothesline sends Rock to the outside, and him and Rocky start fighting in the aisle way. Shamrock slams Rocky's head into the ring steps and throws him back into the ring. After some back and forth, Rock gives Shamrock a body slam in the middle of the ring, and you know what that means. It means it's time for the people's elbow. But Rock must not have come up with the moniker yet, because JR completely undersells it and just says, Rock with an elbow to the chest, in the most boring way possible. Well, that's disappointing. Shamrock goes to the outside and grabs a chair. He stupidly brings it into the ring, and the ref and referee Jack Doan tries to take it away from him. And Shamrock throws him face first into the bottom turnbuckle. Let me re repeat that: Shamrock throws the ref face first into the bottom turnbuckle. So apparently nobody's going to DQ anybody tonight. And as Shamrock turns around, he absolutely gets bashed in the face. By the rock with the chair. Shamrock doesn't even get his fucking hands up. Magically, Shamrock kicks out, which is mind numbing considering he probably had a shoot concussion. Shamrock then locks Rocky in the ankle lock, and Rocky taps out. Your winner, Ken Shamrock, new Intercontinental Champion. D'Lo and Kama try to attack Shamrock after the match, but he dispatches them pretty quickly with some belly-to-belly -belly suplexes. Mark Henry then steps in the ring, and him and Shamrock actually have a stare-down before Shamrock hits him with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Shamrock then goes back to putting the ankle lock on Rocky. Rocky's screaming in pain, and for some reason he's bleeding from his mouth, which is a nice effect. Finally, Farouk runs down. And he's going to save The Rock, right? Well, before Farouk gets in the ring, he thinks about it for a second. And then pretty much gives him the hand-arm motion for a go-fuck-yourself. Before leaving Rock to cry in pain in the hold. 
The bell continues to ring as Shamrock refuses to let go of the hold. A number of officials and refs come down to the ring to reason with Shamrock, and he finally breaks the hold. But as they are trying to get him to leave the ring, he suplexes about three referees in a suit. The suit got some height on him and some size. I'm wondering if he's a former wrestler, but who knows. Shamrock has this Norman Bates look on his face, and he's being cornered by even more refs and even more suits. As they carry Rock away in a stretcher, Fink announces WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock to the confusion of the crowd. Fink then explains this, that because Shamrock refused to break the hold, the referee has reversed his decision and awarded this match to The Rock. Your winner... And still, Intercontinental Champion, The Rock. Now, if you thought Shamrock was pissed before, you ain't seen nothing yet. Shamrock holds up the IC title, and fans give him a loud ovation despite the ref's official decision. We then get a commercial warning people, if you don't think these are real athletes, then try lacing their boots, with various WWF superstars talking about the hard injuries they've suffered in the ring. Yes, This is the famous commercial where Shawn Michaels says he's had about a dozen concussions and Austin touts breaking his neck but still getting up. Interesting that they put this commercial here before our next match. Our next match, which is the previously mentioned WWF Tag Team Championships, the New Age Outlaws versus Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, a.k.a. Mick Foley and Terry Funk. We hear Cactus Jack's music, and out comes Funk and Foley with weapons in hand. Funk, who is not wearing the stocking covering his face tonight, is, weld- is wielding a fucking chainsaw. Well, Cactus has a lead pipe. We get a video highlight package from last month of the Outlaws pushing a dumpster containing Funk and Foley off the stage and onto the floor. Pretty impactful back in 1998, I will say that. The Outlaws come out and Road Dog runs down Funk and Foley on the mic as they make their way to the ring. But while... Road Dog is talking, Funk attacks Billy Gunn, and we are off to the races. Foley throws Road Dog headfirst into the dumpster. Foley then tries to somersault off the apron onto Road Dog, but of course, Road Dog moves, and Foley crashes into the dumpster. Billy then chokes out Funk with a ring cable and shoves him in the dumpster. Of course, both men from one team have to be in the dumpster for the match to end, and the Outlaws start double-teaming Foley. They throw Foley into the dumpster, and then Road Dog hits a Russian leg sweep into the dumpster, and Foley's head bounces off the side. Foley, however, has crawled out at this point, so the outlaws just take turns slamming the dumpster lids on their heads. They throw Foley into the dumpster, and Road Dog holds Funk while Billy lays into him. We see Billy's nose is bleeding, and I'm sure that's because Terry Funk probably popped him for real at some point. They throw Funk in and try to close the lid, but only can close one before Foley shoves a mandible claw into Road Dog's gullet. Billy causes Foley to let go of the hole with a baking pan shot to Foley's face. JR brings up the fact that Funk competed at WrestleMania 2, which was covered right here on this very show. She plug aside. Foley then dives off the apron with a baking pan onto Billy Gunn on the concrete floor. Foley then pulls out a goddamn ladder for some odd reason, and he starts to climb, although there's nothing to climb for. Billy goes up the other side to punch Cactus in the face. Meanwhile, Road Dog grabs a baking sheet, nails Funk with it, who falls into the ladder, causing Gunn and Foley to fall off the ladder and into the dumpster. Now, pretty sure when they land on the dumpster, they break the lids in the process, so they ain't using that dumpster for the finish. And to make matters worse, Billy Gunn then gets out of the dumpster and proceeds to powerbomb Funk from the apron into the dumpster. Good lord. The outlaws then go after Cactus, who has managed to crawl up the alleyway. They beat him up near the entrance and into the backstage area. They beat him up backstage, but Foley gets a chair and nails both outlaws in the skull. Foley lays out Gunn with a double-arm DDT onto a wood pallet. Ouch. And magically, Terry Funk is in the forklift that is holding that wood pallet. What? Wait a fucking second. Not two minutes ago, Funk got powerbombed from the apron into the dumpster. We never saw him got out of the dumpster, although I will say the camera wasn't on the dumpster. So we're to assume that he got out of the dumpster, ran through the crowd, met them backstage, and decided to sit in the forklift and wait? 
it's a bit of a stretch. But I've never been one to get too hung up in wrestling logic for too long, so I'm going to ignore it for now. Foley then tosses Road Dog on top of Billy as Funk comically lifts the pallet off the ground with the forklift. Funk then drives the pallet to, oh look, another dumpster! And as Billy and Road Dog pretend that they are too startled to move, Funk shakes the top of the forklift with the controllers and Road Dog and Billy fall in the dumpster. They kind of just rolled into the dumpster, but whatever, they fall into the dumpster. And Cactus shuts the lids. Your winners and new tag team champions, Mick Foley and Terry Funk. Possibly the only belt Funk ever won in the WWF. Funk then puts the pallet on top of the lid so the Outlaws can't get out, which I thought was kind of comical. All in all, a good match, but it was rather quick. And a lot of it didn't make sense. But the crowd was into it, so whatever. Coming up, we get a video recap of the long brewing feud between The Undertaker and his brother Kane. Kane, who made his debut at the 1997 Bad Blood pay-per-view. Oh my god, wait a minute! It's Paul Bear! It's Paul Bear! And that, that's gotta be... That's gotta be Kane! That's gotta be Kane! And then tormented his brother for months until finally getting Taker to accept a match. This torment included locking Taker in a casket at the Royal Rumble and setting it on fire. Now, both at Bad Blood and at the Rumble, The Undertaker was in a match against Shawn Michaels when Kane interfered. So I guess we can all come to the conclusion that Kane was HBK's ultimate insurance policy. Not to be confused with WCW's ultimate solution. Completely different. Another celebrity comes to the ring to introduce our next match, and this time, it is baseball legend turned blackballed embarrassment, Pete Rose. Pete Rose. As you heard in that clip, he got tombstone to hell by Kane, and the Boston crowd loved it. Can't say I blame them. That curse of the Bambino shit used to be real touchy subject around here before they broke it in 2004, and Pete Rose played his heel role perfectly. 
I also love that they replay the tombstone like three times. Lights go out. We hear some very loud thunder followed by torch-carrying druids, many of whom are known by Jason as local indie wrestlers who are hired to be druids. A bolt of lightning then strikes the entranceway, and the Prince of Darkness, as JR so aptly calls him, slowly makes his way down to the ring, wearing a Dracula-like gothic cape. Quite the attire for the phenom. JR points out the fact that this is his seventh WrestleMania appearance, but avoids stating that he is undefeated. Interesting. Taker lays into Kane with furious rights and left, but they seem to have little effect, if any, on the big red machine. Kane then starts physically dominating Taker in a manner pretty seldom seen in his career at this point. Paul Bear screams at Taker while Kane continues to beat him down, and every time Taker gets anything going, Kane quickly shuts him down. The action spills to the outside, and Kane drops Taker onto the guardrail, and then Kane picks up the ring steps and drives it down into Taker's spine. Then to make matters worse, Paul Bear runs over. All 350 pounds of his fatness start kicking Taker when he's down. Back in the ring, and Kane pummels Taker and hits him with a choke slam to hell. But when Kane goes to the pinfall, he picks up Taker too, wanting to dish out more punishment. So what does he do to dish out more punishment? Well, what any sadistic seven-footer would do, he locks him in a reverse chin lock for like three minutes. Taker punches his way out, but is quickly dropped with a clothesline. Taker gets on the offensive again and punches Kane to the apron. He then drops Kane with a big boot, but Kane lands on his feet on the outside. It's at this point that Taker thinks it's a good idea to do a running dive over the top rope onto Kane, but unfortunately for the dead man, Kane sidesteps him and drives Taker right through the Spanish announce table. Oh, Dios mios. Kane throws Taker back into the ring and nails him with a flying clothesline off the top rope. Kane goes for the cover, but Taker kicks out. Taker goes for a tombstone, but Kane reverses it and plants Taker with a tombstone of his own. Undertaker barely kicks out at two and a half, and Kane is shocked to the point of going after a petrified Jack Doan, as in what the fuck Jack. Taker fights back and knocks down Kane with a big clothesline, followed up with a big choke slam. He then calls for the tombstone and nails Kane, but somehow Kane kicks out. Taker is pissed, and the Boston crowd is pretty stunned. He hits Kane with a flying top rope clothesline of his own, then another tombstone right in the center of the ring, and then Taker gets up, without even attempting a cover, signals again for the tombstone, nails him again for a third time, hooks the leg, and finally, and barely I might add, Gets the three count. Your winner, The Undertaker. After the match, Paul Bear grabs a chair and gets to the ring. He puts the boost to Taker again and tries to get the chair to Kane, but Taker gets up and punches Paul Bear in the face. Kane, however, does grab the chair and nails Taker across the back. Kane then tombstones Taker onto the chair and begins to leave with Paul Bear. Kane's music plays, but as soon as he leaves... Taker sits up and makes his way backstage looking for revenge. So apparently, this is just the beginning of Kane versus the Dead Man. All in all, a good match, just for the storytelling aspect of it. I will say that uh, it was a little bit slow in prodding, and Kane being so green at this point, that's not really surprising. But I thought they told a good story. It is now, however, time for our main event of the evening. WWF Championship match, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels with the special enforcer, Mike Tyson. They play the video package hyping Tyson's involvement since the Royal Rumble. This video, case, this video showcases Tyson siding with DX, even going as far as to claim membership in the group. Austin definitely has the deck stacked against him, which is exactly what you want for your top baby face. Tyson comes out to DX Music, has a DX shirt on, and is doing one of the crappiest DX shops in the history of DX chops as he panders to the crowd. Next up, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin walking backstage. The glass shatters and Boston explodes for the arrival of the rattlesnake. 
Austin comes to the ring BMF walk personified. He wastes no time in getting in Tyson's face right away, and both men jarred each other for a bit before we go backstage again to see Triple H in China accompanying Sean to Gorilla. The DX band then asked Boston, are you ready? And the greatest champion there ever was, according to Jim Ross, makes his way down to the ring with DX by his side. The bell rings and we get started as Michaels and Austin circle each other. Sean starts off with two quick left jabs. This infuriates Austin, who then chases Michaels around the ring. He finally catches Michaels and lays him out with a forearm. Austin then starts putting the boost to Michaels, but Michaels manages to escape again. Austin grabs Sean by his trunks and pulls his pants down so his ass is showing again. Which I guess it wouldn't be WrestleMania if Sean didn't have his ass up. Hilariously, Austin tosses Michaels over the top rope and his bare ass lands on China and Triple H. Austin goes out after Michaels, and Triple H nails Austin with a clothesline to the back of the head. The referee sees this, and tosses China and Triple H out from ringside. They are gone, and as they are leaving, Austin attacks Triple H on on the stage. Michaels jumps Austin from behind and drags him back to the ring. Back in the ring, Austin almost hits Michaels with the stunner, but Sean ducks out of the way and gets to the outside apron. Austin nails him, and Michaels goes face first off the announce table. After Austin gets a two count, Sean goes back outside and tries to drag Austin to the ring post and wrap his leg around the post, perhaps an homage to last year. But before we can find out, Austin kicks him into the guardrail. Austin then throws him to the other guardrail and attempts to clothesline him, but Michaels counters and backdrops Austin into the crowd. Tyson gets into it with Kyoto about jurisdiction, and while the referee's back is turned, Michaels nails Austin with the ring bell. Throws Austin back in and mounts him with straight rights to the head. Austin gets up, but Michaels continues to lay into Austin in the corner. It's at this point the Boston crowd gets innovative and starts chanting, Holy Field! Holy field at Mike Tyson, which I find hilarious because the commentators spin it as they can't understand what this crowd is saying due to their horrible Boston accents. Wait, what? People outside of Boston think we have accents? I can't understand how. Move your garbage car! I gotta get to the parking before the bees drop puck! It's also at this point, it's very noticeable Sean is having a lot of difficulty with his lower back. He's in a lot of pain just from standing up and moving around. For anyone not aware, Sean severely injured his back at the Royal Rumble after taking a backdrop gone wrong from the ring to the outside onto the casket during his match with The Undertaker. Sean suffered through, but who knows how much further damage he did during this match. Michaels then tries to go to work on Austin's left knee. I mean, it's already got the brace on it, so why not? Austin tries to take take a powder, but Tyson throws him back into the ring. Austin takes exception to this and starts jawing at Tyson, but this allows Sean to hit him with a chop block from the back. HBK locks Austin in a figure four, and Austin eventually reverses it. Sean quickly breaks the hold. Austin fights back and slingshots Michaels into the turnbuckle, and then turns into and turns that into a roll up for a near fall. HBK then locks Austin in a sleeper but Austin makes his way to the corner and throws himself backward into the turnbuckle. Unfortunately, Mike Kyoto is directly behind Sean at this point, so Austin tosses Michaels into Kyoto, and Kyoto's head gets crushed between Michaels' back and the turnbuckle. Twice. With Kyoto down, Michaels nails Austin with his patented flying forearm and then hits the top rope elbow. Michaels sets him up in the corner for sweet chin music. But I'll let Jim Ross tell you what happened next. He's put everybody down with Sweet Chin Music. And he has put Austin down before as well, as we know. Austin back up somehow. Uh-oh. Austin ducked it. Austin going for the stun. And Michael's counter. Michael's going for another tip. Austin, he got it.
As you heard, Austin ducked the first kick and went for the stunner. Michaels escaped that and went for another kick, but Austin blocked it, spun Sean around, and nailed him with a stunner. To everyone's shock, Mike Tyson slid into the ring and counted the one, the two, and the three for the win. Your winner and new WWF champion, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin celebrates with Tyson, and Austin even tosses him an Austin 316 shirt. Tyson doesn't put it on, but he holds it up to the joy of the crowd. Michaels gets up and rips it out of his hands. He then starts yelling at Tyson that Tyson double-crossed him. Tyson tells Michaels to get out of his face, and Michaels starts sticking his finger in Tyson's chest. He then tries to sucker punch Tyson, but Tyson no-sells it and knocks Sean the fuck out with a short right hand. Austin's music plays again as Tyson drapes the Austin 316 shirt over Michael's head while Austin holds up the wing angled belt for the very last time at WrestleMania. That's right, on a very important side note, say goodbye to your childhood as the wing eagled belt design gets retired tomorrow night on Raw, and a new giant gold version is unveiled the following evening. Overall, I thought this meeting was a lot of fun. It definitely put an explanation point on the Attitude Era. You know, from here on out, it's goodbye to the old and into the, in, in with the new. New title belt, new attitude, and new domination in the ratings going forward. Match of the night for me was Triple H versus Owen Hart. I always thought those two had great chemistry, and I thought they worked really well together, especially with the little dynamic of China being handcuffed to Sergeant Slaughter. Worst match of the night was probably the Tag Team Battle Royal, but it's a Battle Royal, so what do you expect? Problem is, when you make Legion of Doom the surprise entrance, it's pretty obvious who's going to win. Also, the match itself was very disjointed and kind of hard to follow because you had no idea who was teaming with who sometimes. Next time, WrestleMania will be coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for WrestleMania 15. Now, with no Shawn Michaels performing at the event or any WrestleMania for the next five years, it's going to be interesting to see who becomes WrestleMania's greatest performer in his absence. I know that they have some major players in 1999, but you don't have Shawn, and Taker's match is kind of a throwaway next year. So we will have to see how that one goes. Follow us on Twitter at WrestleManiaSal. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And be sure to follow the Rundown Wrestling Podcast at Rundown Wrestling Pod, to which this show owes its existence. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Enjoy all of the shows on the Rundown feed, including Nitromania, WrestleMania Salvation, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, and any other show that Troy decides to release or not release that week. From all of us here on the Rundown feed, we will see your ass later.